This is Kismet, the adventure of the survivors of the Vengeance, a fantasy novel shared a chapter at a time. Previously, four shipwreck survivors escaped on a crude raft. Temur, a sailor, was hit on the head during the escape. Now, rejoin us for Kismet. Chapter 6, Temur's Promise The sun crept into the blue circle of the sky. The raft lolled on a greasy swell. Temur gave a grunt and opened his eyes. His vision came into focus on Fiona leaning over him, concern on her face. How is your head? asked Fiona. Been better, he replied. Fiona straightened her shoulders. We were not introduced. I am Fiona. I am pleased to meet you. Who might you be? The islander looked at her suspiciously, but replied, Temur? That is not a name I have heard before. Common enough, said Temur. You appear to know something about the sea. Fisherman, he replied, born and bred. Fiona brightened. What will happen to us? What can we do? We wait, he said. He closed his eyes. The sea decides. Cannot you do something to help us? Temur lay still. Did what I could. Temur's mind slowly rose and fell, floating on the circle of his breathing, on the throbbing in his head on the pulse of the sea. He felt himself sinking from the present, and his mind again tumbled in the rogue wave that had carried him from the only life he'd known. Black and white, said Temur, pulling in the long line hand over hand. Taboo Cove. He fished it. Burkadai put his knife into the cod's gut and slid down to the tail. His family fished that cove before it was taboo. No exceptions, replied Temur. Naran called from the tiller. Both of you shut up and work. The flabby man swigged from a bottle of manioc beer and glared at Burkadai. Why don't you work? shot back Burkadai. I'm the oldest. I'm in charge, said Naran. It's not your boat, said Burkadai. Naran shouted. It's not yours either. The two brothers fell into their well-worn argument, and Temur concentrated his attention on the long line. His cousins were tedious, but what choice did he have? Three arm lengths, unclip a snood, three arm lengths, unclip a snood. Each hook was empty. He fell into the rhythm, and in his head, he heard the song his father used to sing as he would pull in the line. Many snoods had passed before he noticed his cousin's silence. Looking up, he saw them eyeing the pleasure yacht rounding the point. It turned and bore down on them. Temur picked up the club they used to dispatch fish, holding it out of sight behind his leg. The yacht spilled her wind, and a clean-shaven man called to them from the bow in accented ADS. You are from the village nearby, yes? Temur and the brothers regarded the stranger, but did not respond. The man on the yacht shifted uncomfortably, then asked, Your village has a spirit tapestry, yes? I pay silver for spirit tapestries. How much? blurted out Naran. Temur and Burkadai glared at Naran. Five hundred piastres, said the man, smiling. He got the reaction he wanted. The eyes of the three young men went round. A good day's catch by the three of them would sell for a single piastre. Why? asked Burkadai, incredulous. Sail home, said Temur, before the man could respond. No one will sell. I come this way again tomorrow, said the man. Think about it. The yacht sailed off, and Naran repeated the phrase quietly trying out different inflections and savoring the feel of it in his mouth. 
Five hundred piastres. He took a drink from his bottle. Five hundred piastres. Why would a foreigner pay a fortune for a spirit tapestry? asked Burkadai. What could it mean to a person who doesn't have a family square on the tapestry? Don't know, don't care, replied Temur, returning to the long line. At last, Temur pulled in the final hook, which had a fish on it, a small, lumpy snapper. Naran and Burkadai leaned in to look at the fish. Pathetic, said Burkadai bitterly. When I was captain of the boat, we caught real fish. Temur said nothing. He bashed the fish with the club and threw it into the box at the front of the boat. Go in, he said to Naran. We caught what we'll catch. Naran drained his bottle and threw it over the side. He turned the tiller, pulled the line for the boom, and the boat turned its side to the wind and surged toward home. A square breakwater outlined the village harbor. Each stone, chiseled flat, perfectly abutted the next stone, side to side and top to bottom. Those plumb lines continued into the village. Homes stood in neat rows, built from straight timbers, a beautiful square box for crooked little people. A high-status islander clan, proud and ambitious, had settled here in the great diaspora. Pride of work in time became just pride. Privilege substituted for law, and custom was bent to meet petty need. But something of the old spirit remained. Honor sometimes turned up, like a lotus flower popping out of the muck. As they rounded the breakwater, Burkadai cleared his throat and said, Temur, this boat was given to me by my father. It's my birthright. Not again, Naran snorted. Burkadai glared at his brother and continued, I thank you for buying it back, but it still belongs to me because they cheated. Naran mumbled, This is a new angle. The boat closed in on the quay, and Temur dropped the bumpers over the side. Burkadai continued, I've been watching Arslan's dice, and they don't roll evenly. Shut up, said Temur. He picked up the painter, coiled in the bow, and stepped to the front of the boat. You ain't here because it's your boat. He looked over his shoulder and fixed Burkadai a stare. You ain't here because I like you. He turned back and threw the line to an old man standing by one of the mooring points. He squatted down and lifted the fish box onto the quay. Until you have three hundred piastres, it's my boat. He climbed up, hoisted the box, and headed to the marketplace. Temur set the box down at the edge of the market square and sat cross-legged behind it. An old woman with round, red cheeks shuffled over in a high-waisted dress, tied with a broad sash. Auntie Badma, acknowledged Temur. Any sea bass? Badma asked. Just snapper. I don't like those little bones. Why no sea bass? Temur shrugged. Monk Bat, the head of the town council, marched up, his back stiff and his elbows out. Auntie Badma, he purred. How beautiful you look this evening. Is that a new sash? Badma showed her yellow teeth to Monk Bat. It was not a smile. She turned to Temur. Next time you catch me sea bass. She turned and shuffled off. She'll outlive us all, said Monk Bat with a fake chuckle. Temur, my boy, how is your fishing? Temur shrugged. I wanted to know if you had a chance to consider my offer on your house, hmm? It really is more house than you need, and now that my son is married, he needs space to grow a family. And as the son of the head of the town council, it only seems fitting you should have a fine house near the center of town. Don't worry, we can put you on the lodge that we built up on the hill. You'll be so happy up there with the bachelors, hmm? Temur crossed his arms and frowned. You could live with your cousins. Doesn't that make sense? Easier to go out in the morning together. Now, mind you, I'm making a fair offer, too. It is an old place, you know. And, of course, you'd be in my favor, as the head of the town council. Hmm? 
Temmer tapped the top of his fish box. You buying? Oh, the wife takes care of that. You and I can talk real business, man to man. Now about this house. I'm busy, said Temmer. Yes, of course. I'll just come by your house later tonight. I'll bring the contract. No time like the present, you know. It really is the best time. Fish, yelled Temmer. Fresh fish. Yes, I'll be seeing you this evening then, said Monk Bat, smiling and marching off with his elbows out. That evening, Temmer kneeled before the family shrine. He took a stick of incense and pressed it against a coal in the brazier. He gently blew on the coal, which glowed red. The incense started to smoke. He planted the end of the incense in a bowl full of ash. The smoke coiled in the still air, curling on itself and twisting as it rose to the blackened ceiling. On the shrine shelf, his father's knife sat next to his mother's. Father and mother, I greet you. Temmer looked into the distance and stroked his chin. Elder Gontulga got a glass window. It's good. Mother, you would like it. Today, a foreigner met us at the waste. He wanted our spirit tapestry. Temmer shifted. Father, my cousins are idiots. Why did you make me promise to protect them? Temmer was interrupted by a knocking. Temmer bowed to the altar, then rose and went to the door. The top and bottom of the door could open independently. Temmer's father used to sell fish hooks from the small shelf that sat atop the bottom half of the door. Temmer pulled the bolt and opened just the top half. His neighbor, Elder Gontulga, stood outside looking grim. Behind him stood two of the other men from their block. Temmer furrowed his brow. Neighbors! Elder Gontulga interrupted. Temmer, someone has taken the spirit tapestry. Temmer's eyes widened. Elder Gontulga continued. We're going to gather in the marketplace to start a search. Join us. The lid on the pot hanging over the fire started to rattle. Temmer looked over his shoulder, and Elder Gontulga craned his neck to look. Temmer said, Dinner's ready. Meet you there. Elder Gontulga gave a nod, and Temmer's neighbors turned and walked into the night. Temmer closed the door and lifted the small iron pot from the fire, placing it on the table. The door rattled with frantic knocking. Temmer returned to the door. Before he'd finished opening it, it burst open. Temmer fell back as Naran and Burkadai muscled into the room, quickly shutting the door behind them. What? began Temmer angrily, but Burkadai shushed him. Burkadai listened at the door. A clatter of running feet came down the street, then past the house. Temmer's eyes were on Naran. Naran's eyes were wild, and over his shoulder slumped the unmistakable form of the rolled-up spirit tapestry. You fool! said Temmer. Burkadai grabbed Temmer by the shirt. You have to help! Naran grabbed Temmer by the sleeve. I'm already on probation! They'll kill him! said Burkadai. Sit down! said Temmer, pointing to the table. He took the spirit tapestry and placed it on the table between them. The brothers started to speak, but Temmer fixed them with a glare, and they shut their mouths. Temmer walked back to the family shrine and stared at his father's knife. He clenched and unclenched his fists. Temmer turned back to the table in time to see Naran finishing Temmer's dinner. Naran, he said through clenched teeth, I'll row you to Ogota. Take a comfort boat to Yuptavan. What about the tapestry? asked Burkadai. When Naran is gone, I'll return it. Burkadai, you go home. Temmer opened the door and Burkadai darted out. With his hand resting on the door, Temmer hung his head and considered. I'm sorry, said Naran, eyes still wide. He vaguely waved his hand, as if offering an explanation. Five hundred piastres. Temmer reached into a small jar above the family shrine and pulled out some copper coins. 
He offered these to Naran. He then pulled a rain slicker from a peg by the door and offered that to Naran as well. Temur walked to the door and waved Naran over. Cracking the door open, he peered up and down the street. Seeing no one, they slipped out and headed down to the harbor. Three hours later, the moon sailed high in the sky. Temur rolled his stiff shoulders as he trudged back up to his house. Going inside, he dropped into a chair at the table. He sadly regarded the rolled tapestry sitting on the table. The door burst open, and Elder Gontulga rushed in, followed by Burkadai and the other men of the village, crowding into the hut. "'There he sits, red-handed!' exclaimed Burkadai, pointing to Temur with a theatrical flourish. The surprise in Temur's eyes turned to fury. He started to say, "'Lying!' but the words turned into a growl. The murder in Temur's eyes burrowed into Burkadai, and Burkadai desperately tried to back up as Temur rose from his seat, but men crowded into the hut, blocking his path. Temur shoved the table aside and leapt at Burkadai, with his teeth bared. Had he not just rode for hours, he might have been able to fight past the other men of the village to get his hands around Burkadai's throat, but they pinned him. They hustled him to the shed the village used to lock up valuable cargo awaiting shipping. A crowd followed them, gabbling disbelief. Temur seethed, but he did not fight. He walked in, then turned to face Gontulga. Elder Gontulga, it wasn't me. I know, but it does not look good. He sighed and shut the door, locking it behind him. Temur dropped to his knees and looked skyward, his face pinched and red. Father, he said, why? Temur sat in the shed, alternating between anger and despair as the moon rolled across the sky. The key rattling in the lock announced the morning, and Elder Gontulga opened the door. Gontulga would not look Temur in the eye. He turned and walked to the great hall. Temur followed. The beams of the great hall resembled the thwarts of a great longboat, and the resemblance was no accident. Many generations back, before the islands were part of the ADS, the roving islanders would hold councils under their upturned boats when raiding distant shores. All the adults of the village lined the hall. Temur walked with head held high to the dais, where the council of elders stood in front of the spirit tapestry, restored to its proper place. They talked in stressed whispers, making forceful movements with their arms. They stopped when Temur stood before them. Monkbat, the head of the council, regarded Temur with excitement. Temur, the council has met to consider this situation. You were found in possession of the spirit tapestry. Burkadai has accused you of stealing the tapestry so you might profit by its sale to an outsider. A murmur moved through the crowd. Others in the village had been approached by the Sjalvstiri collector as well. How do you answer this accusation? It's a lie. Naran took it. He left. I was going to return it. The five elders put their heads together and whispered urgently to each other. Monkbat spoke up again. Will Naran confess? Do you know where he can be found? Yuptavan. Again, the council turned away and talked to each other. Monkbat quieted them and addressed Temur. The laws of our village are clear, hmm? You were found in possession of a stolen object. You stand accused by another. You cannot offer a witness. The punishment is exile. Monkbat paused and watched Temur's face. As the last member of your mother's line, your family's patch will be removed from the tapestry. He motioned to Elder Gontulga, who walked back to the tapestry and removed the stitching around a patch. Temur's possessions are forfeit, to be distributed by the council, both your house and your boat. Temur looked to the back of the room. Burkadai ducked behind another villager. 
From sunset today, if Temur is found in the village, the punishment is death. Elder Guntulga returned with Temur's family patch. Monkback continued, His name will not be spoken. Elder Guntulga stepped down from the dais and stood before Temur. He leaned in and spoke low, so only Temur could hear. Find Naran. He handed the patch to Temur. Monkbat stepped forward, spread his arms, and addressed the village. Temur is a thief. He is cast out. The council has spoken. Temur stumbled back, then pivoted quickly and walked from the room, his face burning with shame. His throat constricted, and he squeezed his eyes to keep tears from spilling down his cheeks. Elder Gantulga followed him outside, and he grabbed Temur by the arm. Quick, I'll row you to Ogota. He led him down to the harbor and the same rowboat that had carried Naran away. Gantulga manned the oars, and they cast off. Look under your seat, said Gantulga. Temur pulled out a rain slicker. Unfolding it, he found dried fish and some copper coins. He regarded these for a moment, and then quietly said, Thank you, Elder Gantulga. The oars creaked and splashed, creaked and splashed, and the village receded behind them. Temur watched, ever looking back, until the village and the island disappeared into the sea. This has been Chapter 6. Next time, learn what happens to the passengers who left the Vengeance. Fiona, Sanan, Tess, Temur, and Brody. Until next time...